Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Well, what is the oldest question known to mankind? The meaning of life? Uh, How do you know when you're in love? Or why, God, why did you make cats? If you're watching online and you're with me on the cat question, just put a cat emoji in the comments. That would be amazing. Those aren't the oldest questions known. I believe the oldest question known to mankind is found in the book of Job in the Bible. Now, Job is not the first book in the Bible, but most scholars and theologians believe it was the first book written and then placed in the Bible eventually where where it is. And it reveals to us a depth of suffering that's hard to even imagine. And it's interesting to me that apparently with the first book God ever inspired to be written, with the very first book, he dealt with perhaps the oldest and most pressing question known to mankind. Where is God when life hurts? Where is God in our suffering? French philosopher Simone Weil, or Weil, I don't know how you pronounce it, said this, Affliction makes God appear to be absent for a time, more absent than a dead man, more absent than light in the utter darkness of a cell. But whether it's a French philosopher in modern day or an ancient wealthy farmer from several thousand years ago in Job, all of us wrestle with the same questions. What do we do with pain and suffering? Why does it happen and how should we walk through it? Like, what do we do when God disappears? Which is the title of the sermon series that I'm going to be starting today. If you don't know, by the way, if you weren't here earlier in the service or you're joining us uh, online for the sermon, my name is Jeff Manis. I'm the lead pastor here. And, and whether you're joining us in person, joining us online, and even if you love cats, I'm so glad that you are here. Even all the cat lovers are welcome here at Element Church. Uh, I know for some of you, Uh, The feeling that God has disappeared on you could be the reason that you've chosen not to believe in God or at least not trust him enough to follow him and his ways. You might even be asking the question of people like me, well, how can you believe in God when there's so much evil, pain, and suffering in the world? And that's a legitimate question, by the way. It's, a, it's one that you're welcome to ask and pursue answers to here, even if you never come to the same conclusion that we have. We're going to love you as, you as you wrestle with questions like that. We actually did a whole sermon series uh, last fall called Why I Struggle to Believe in God. We took one whole sermon and talked about that question. How can we believe in God when there's so much evil, pain, and suffering? I'd encourage you to go back and, and watch or listen to that. But in the meantime, there's a couple of resources I'd point you to if you want to look at this further in your life life. Two books. Uh, They're both on the screen here. I read both of these in preparation for the series, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Timothy Keller. If you want to take a picture of the screen or or write these down, you can. Where is God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey. Read both of them. Highly recommend them. They are available out at the Element Store or they're also available on Amazon or anywhere that you buy books online. You can probably find those. Uh, The biggest question I think people have when it comes to pain and suffering, is the question, why? 
Why did this happen? What did I do to deserve this? Or speaking of someone else, what did they do to deserve what happened? And that's where I want to begin our series with this big idea. It's on the screens if you want to write it down. Neither blessings from God nor burdens allowed by God are dependent on my behavior. That neither blessings from God nor burdens, pain and suffering allowed by God, neither are dependent on my behavior. Now that's a broad statement that needs some explanation because obviously there are some natural consequences to choices that we make. I mean, at the very basic level, like start, start at the very bottom level, if I choose to only eat potato chips and bacon, while it sounds delicious, most likely I will not feel well and it will end up creating health problems later on in life, right? Natural consequence to choices that we make, and it only escalates then from there. And now a natural consequence of mentioning bacon is, guess what? I want bacon. Who's with me and wants bacon now? That I mentioned everybody wants bacon. We should have a bacon bar today. And, and coffee, that would be amazing. We are not gonna bring bacon to the hospitality team though. On the flip side, on the flip side, if I choose to eat healthy, exercise every day, get a good amount of sleep, the odds aren't guaranteed, but they're definitely higher that I will live a longer and healthier life. Those are minor, minor examples of natural consequences that escalate from there. So with our big idea, I'm not saying that natural consequences don't exist because they do. But what about the innocent child who gets cancer? What about the Christian family who who all of them are killed in just some random freak car accident that no one can explain, or the thousand other scenarios that we could think of when there is no answer, no natural reason or logic for the tragic thing that happened to someone else or to us in this life, and we're left with that question. Why? What did I do to deserve this? But here's the problem even with that question. If, if I start to believe that I somehow earned a burden from God by my bad behavior, then I will also believe that I earn every blessing from God or earn a burden-free life by my good behavior, and neither of those things are true. Neither of them are true. Yes, God, his desire for us is to live a blessed life by our faith in him. But God's blessings are not always tied to our circumstances. His blessings are not always seen or felt or touched or experienced physically in life. Remember, neither blessings from God nor burdens allowed by God are dependent on my behavior. So here's the big question then we've got to address in our suffering. What should we remember in our suffering then? If it's not dependent on my behavior, what should we remember when we face it? Because we're all going to face it. The main scripture is Job 1, 1 through 12. Job's in the Old Testament portion of the Bible, just before the biggest book, which is Psalms. It's 42 chapters long. And over the next four weeks through the month of June, uh, I'm not going to read every verse of every chapter with us together, but we are going to cover uh, four major themes from the entire book of Job. If you don't own a Bible, you can always download a free one called YouVersion, or if you're here in person, get one out at guest services. They're totally free. Just ask for one out there. For now, we are 
are reading lots of scripture and lots of different quotes today. So you'll want to follow along on the screens. It's all there for you. We're going to read uh, all uh, of the verses 1 through 12. Uh, I'll make some comments along the way, and then we'll look at three things I think we should remember in our suffering, understanding that we are not going to solve the problem of pain and suffering in one sermon or one series. You all understand that, right? We're not solving this problem, but we are going to look at some truths that we can remember and ways that we should respond, which we'll look at next week. Before we do that, let's go ahead and and pause and pray and ask God for his help today. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I think it's remarkable that in the first book you ever inspired to be written, you dealt with what is perhaps the most pressing question in humanity. Where are you when life hurts? What do we remember in our suffering? And so, Lord, I know that there are people in this room within the sound of my voice who are in the midst of suffering. Lord, would you bring comfort and peace? Lord, for those of us who have yet to face those major sufferings of life, would you use this to prepare us to walk through it? Lord, more than anything, we want you to shine through today. So would you do that? My words are meaningless without your spirit. And so I ask for your spirit's power, your anointing, your authority to be on this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Job 1, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was a blameless, he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Like, hello, I mean, if anyone had earned a blessing, it was Job, right? And he was blessed, by the way. Like, check this out. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. Notice cats were not listed in his blessing. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes. They would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning, offer burnt offerings for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. Like this guy was a shining example of how to live life. Of course things were going well for him. Of course he was blessed. Why wouldn't he be? But look what happens next. I think many of us are familiar with this story. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them, which we don't have time to unpack this cosmic conversation that happens, and whether it's you know a true thing that happened or, or is it allegory, Doesn't matter. We don't have time to get into it. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord. I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. I don't have time to lean in on this, but I've got to address it because it's amazing to me. Job lived the kind of life that God bragged about. Let that sink in. Like, it makes me ask the question of myself, what would God say about my life? Wow. 
It's a sobering thought, isn't it? That when Satan came before the Lord, the Lord bragged about Job to Satan. Wow. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him in his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. Look how much you've blessed him, God. Of course he trusts you, but reach out and take away everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Like Satan was saying to God that Job doesn't really trust you or love you. Job loves the blessings you give. Take away those blessings, he won't trust you anymore. This was actually an accusation more against God than it was Job. Satan was saying to God, you're not worthy of being trusted simply for being yourself. You're only worthy of being trusted when you bless and protect these people on the planet. But remove your blessing and protection, they won't trust you anymore. So it's an accusation against God, not Job. And what did God say? <laughs> All right, verse 12. You may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with whatever he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. And the rest of chapter one is just one tragedy after another. Job lost all of his livestock, his camels, and his farmhands that we read about earlier. Fire came down from the sky and burned up all of his sheep and shepherds, and then all 10 of his children were killed when the house they were in was toppled over by a windstorm. All 10 of his children died. All of his possessions were taken away. Then in chapter two, which we'll get into more next week, God then gives permission to Job to attack... Uh, gives permission to Satan to attack Job physically and Satan struck Job with painful boils that covered his body from head to toe. Philip Yancey in the book I recommended earlier said this, nobody deserved suffering less than Job and yet few have suffered more. But remember, neither blessings from God nor burdens allowed by God are dependent on my behavior so what should we remember in our suffering? Well, the first thing I want us to remember, and we see this all in, in Job through the entire book, even in Job's questions and doubts, we, he never loses sight of this, of pleasing God. Number one, our primary goal is to please God. Even in our suffering, our primary goal as followers of Jesus is to please God. That, that as Christians, our primary goal is not to be protected by God or receive provision from God. Our primary goal is to please God whether he ever does those things for us or not. I mean, that's what Satan believed Job would not do if God removed his blessing, that Job would not continue to trust in and please God if God removed his blessing. And the truth is, Job struggled with this himself. He, he, he questioned this. In Job chapter 21, in one of those moments where Job was, was crying out to God in anguish and anger and doubt and questions, Job asked this question, Job 21, 15. Who is the Almighty? And why should we obey him? Why should we please God? What good will it do us to pray? So man, 
Even Job was wrestling with this same question we often wrestle with. That, that, that if I live a certain way, doesn't God owe me something? Does he? Does God owe me anything? He doesn't. We, we very easily start believing that, that God exists for our life to be good instead of us existing to bring him glory. Or we very easily slip into the belief that God exists to provide for us blessings and protection. And so if I live a certain way, I earn that blessing and, and protection. Or, or how about this one? This one gets me every time. God just wants me to be happy. Really? I got news for you. That's not God's primary concern. God is not primarily concerned with your happiness. He's concerned with your holiness. Because holiness is having Jesus rooted at the center of your heart. And when Jesus is rooted at the center of your heart, it produces joy. Happiness is temporary. It's fleeting. Happiness changes with every blessing and every burden. But joy, like holiness, because it's rooted in Jesus, produces joy even in the midst of our suffering, and that joy cannot be taken away. Joy does not change based on blessings or burdens. It, it's unchanging because it's rooted in Jesus. Dorothy Sayers, in her book, Creed and Chaos, said this, it seems to me quite disastrous that the idea has been presented of Christianity as an otherworldly, unreal, idealistic kind of religion that suggests that if we are good, we shall be happy. On the contrary, Christianity is fiercely and even harshly realistic, insisting that there are certain eternal achievements that make even happiness look like trash. Wow. Wow. And one of those, one of those eternal achievements is living our life to please the Lord. Living our life with an eternal, not a temporal perspective. Timothy Keller, in the book I recommend, put it this way. You have meaning only when there is something in life more important than your own personal freedom and happiness, something for which you are glad to sacrifice your happiness. And that thing that should make you glad to sacrifice your happiness is holiness, rooted in Jesus because it produces joy. Remember, neither blessings from God nor burdens allowed by God are dependent on my behavior. So what should we remember in our suffering? Our primary goal, even in suffering, is to please the Lord. Whether he blesses us or not, whether he protects us or not, in Jesus, we've already received all the blessing we ever need. So we choose to please him with our life. We choose holiness over happiness, understanding that holiness produces joy which cannot be taken away.
Second thing we gotta remember is this, nothing happens without the permission of God. Nothing happens without the permission of God. We see this in our main scripture. It's important for us to note that Satan did not have free reign in Job's life and Satan does not have free reign in yours. Praise the Lord. He does not have free reign. This is foundational to our understanding of suffering. Now, I don't understand all of this. I I don't know the answer to why. Why does God allow some things to happen to some people, yet he limits things from happening to others? I don't know. All I know is that because of sin, ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree in the garden, and then every sin since then that's ever been committed because of sin, our world has been thrust into utter chaos not intended for what God designed the world to be. And because of that chaos, bad things happen to all people. Because of sin, bad things happen. Yet, all of it, everything that happens, all of it is done only through the permission of God. We have to find some solace in that. That even in our suffering, God is still sovereign. He is still in control. That every problem I face has first passed through the hands of God. Now, I know, I I, I even asked for prayer for this specific point that this would not turn people off. Because I know this very reality creates more questions than answers. I'm not giving a lot of good answers in this point. I'm raising probably more questions. And I want to acknowledge how, how sensitive this is for those of you who are suffering right now. Like this, what I'm about to share, what I am sharing right now is horrible advice to share with someone in the midst of their suffering. I would even challenge all of us, me included. We're gonna do a whole sermon in two weeks on how do we relate to people who are suffering. And we'll get into what can we do to help those people. Here's a little foretaste. Don't share this with someone in the midst of their suffering. It won't help, okay? So I'm just acknowledging that. And if you are here and you are someone who's in the midst of suffering right now, first of all, I am sorry for what you're walking through. I know some of you are because I know you. And I'm sorry for what you're walking through. And I'm not trying to throw trivial answers at you. And I am in no way minimalizing your pain. So please, if if there's a way for me to remove the sufferers right now and only speak to those of us who have got a pretty good life going on, I do that, but I can't. So we're all included in this. So please understand the illustration I'm about to give may not help you right now. Please don't use this to someone who's in the midst of their suffering, but I have to address this. I'm just acknowledging that up front. I brought this strainer here with me today to help illustrate this. Let's just imagine that this container right here represents your life. Uh, This bucket of rocks and sand and dirt represents the devil and all the evil pain and suffering he wants to throw onto our lives. And this sifter uh, represents uh, God. 
Without God in our life, without the hands of God, the devil would throw all of this at us with no presence, no protection, no permission of God needed. But Satan does not have free reign to do that. Satan, Satan cannot do whatever he wants at any time. Evil, pain, and suffering cannot attack at will, which is, again, should be comforting to us. But I, I'm acknowledging this creates more questions. Let's just say these big rocks represent the worst things that could ever happen in life. Let your imagination roll. All the way down to little tiny pebbles of, of rock or dirt or whatever that just represent the, the random you know, trivial burdens and pains we face every single day in life. Satan wants to throw all of this at us at all times. He wants to destroy us. Jesus said the sole purpose of the devil is to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. But Jesus, uh, uh, God, like Job, God says to Satan in our lives, this far and no farther. You can only do so much that Satan, you don't have free reign. And so Satan wants to throw all this on your life. But it first passes through the hands of God. And I don't understand how all of it works. We're not privy to... God's sovereignty and how he does that. And yes, there are times, I can't cut holes in this because I've got to use it for the other services and it doesn't belong to me. So God's, God's sifter has different size holes sometimes. And yes, sometimes God allows a big rock or two or even three to get through. But he also spares us from things that we don't ever even see. We don't know what God is protecting us or has protected us or will protect us from. And I, I don't know why God allows some rocks to pass through and not others, and it's different for different people. We don't know the answer why. I wish I did. But even Job never got the answer to why. In all 42 chapters, God never gave him the answer why. It's okay to ask why as long as you understand you may not get the answer. We have to accept that. We, we, we have to be okay with the fact that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. For us to believe that, that, that God owes us an explanation or that we would even understand the explanation if he gave it, puts our minds on the same level as God. Hello. Timothy Keller, in that book I recommended, gave this quote. The belief that because we cannot think of a reason God would allow something means there cannot be a reason God did is more than a fallacy. It is a mark of great pride and faith in one's own mind. Whoo! Like for me to say that because I in my humanity can't think of a reason God would allow it, that it means there's not a reason or that there is not a God is incredibly prideful and an affront against the Lord and his sovereignty. 
We don't always know the reason and we may never know, but we can know this. Everything that happens to us has first passed through the hands of our God. It's actually a reminder for us of God's power that in the spiritual realm, we we don't have two equal opposing forces facing each other. It's not God and his rival, the devil. God has no rival and he has no equal. He is God alone and Satan is subject to that authority and power of God. It should bring me great comfort to know that nothing comes upon my life that has not first passed through the loving, gracious, merciful, compassionate, kind, caring, powerful, mighty hands of my God. And he either, listen, yeah, you can clap, but I got more. He either, he either has a reason for it or he wants to be my reason in it. Either way, I must submit myself to the power powerful hands of my God. Now you can clap. Remember, neither blessings from God nor burdens allowed by God are dependent on my behavior. So what should we remember? Because we're going to face suffering. What do we remember? Our primary goal is to please God. Ask why. We're going to get into that in the series. You can ask God why. You can be angry at God. Like if God's not big enough for you to be angry, he ain't God. But don't be angry about God, be angry to God. We're gonna get into that in the series, so I don't wanna get ahead of myself. Ask why. I mean, Job asked why all through the book. And at the end, God said Job never sinned in his questions. But he also did not get the answer. The only answer God gave Job was this, I'm God and you're not, will you trust me? Will you trust me? The third thing we've got to remember is this. No matter the situation, we have the presence of God. No matter the situation, we have the presence of God. Simone Weil, that French philosopher I quoted earlier, said that suffering makes God appear to be absent. And she's right. It can appear that way. But in Psalm 34, David counters with the truth that though God feels absent, he is not. Looking back at a time in his life where he was in danger and all hope seemed lost, David quotes or says this in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He's close. He's present. He, he has to be close if it's his hands that all things pass through first. It means he's right there in my life. He always is. We see the presence of God on full display in Jesus, Emmanuel. God is with us, God in the flesh. That Jesus, God himself, entered into humanity. He entered into suffering willingly. Jesus experienced all of the suffering that this world has 
to offer betrayal, pain, loss, death, disease. He even died his own gruesome, gruesome death on a cross for our sins, but he rose from the dead, securing our place with him in eternity through our faith in him. And when we believe, he lives in us. He's with us. He's present in all of our suffering. He's close to the broken hearted, but he's not only present because he endured suffering, he understands. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe, that he's still God and he's still good. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do, all of the pain, all of the suffering, all the temptations, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, into his presence. And there in his presence, we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it the most. And I cannot think of another place in life where we need God's help the most, more than in our suffering. And we have his presence to help. Timothy Keller put it this way. The God on whom we rely knows what suffering is all about not merely in the way that God knows everything, but by experience. But it's not, it's not just that in Jesus, God suffered as well. It's, it's beyond that. It's that Jesus endured total separation from God the Father so that we wouldn't have to. On the cross, Jesus endured the absence of God's presence so that we would never have to be without God's presence. Robert Murray M. Shane put it beautifully. On the cross, Jesus was, was without any comforts of God, no feeling that God loved him, no feeling that God pitied him, no feeling that God supported him. He was without God. All that God had been to him before was taken from him now. He had the feeling of those condemned, hearing the words, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have you disappeared? The answer, Robert said, for me. He was forsaken, so I wouldn't have to be. The ocean of Christ's sufferings is unfathomable. Jesus became suffering so that he could be with us in ours. Only Christianity, it's the only religion on the planet where our God did not remain separate from creation. He entered it, endured all of its suffering, defeated it by rising from the dead, and then is in the midst of it with his children. Only Christianity has a God like that.
And we actually see this beautifully displayed in the act of communion that we're receiving today. If you're watching online and you wanna go grab some bread and juice or something to eat or drink, you can do that. On the very night that Jesus was arrested and eventually killed for our sins, he, he had his last meal with his disciples, his closest friends, and he broke bread and said, every time you eat the bread, remember my body endured suffering. My body's broken for you. When you eat it, remember me. And every time you drink the cup, it's my blood, the blood of God in the flesh that was spilled on the ground for your sins, that I endured suffering so that I'd be with you in yours. If you wanna take communion today, you're welcome to. You don't have to be a member to do that. If you don't wanna take it, that's totally fine. We do ask that if you're gonna take it that we believe communion is for those who are sincerely seeking Jesus. And if you don't want to, no judgment whatsoever. As I'm done here in a moment and I pray, uh, you can just exit quietly. And then if you're gonna take communion, uh, just send one person up per uh, party. And we've got these prepackaged cups here, top layer off bread, bottom layer off juice. Uh, take the number of cups back to your party that's needed. And then you can remain uh, in an act of worship and prayer for as long as you need to. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, now would be a great time, right? During this act of communion. And you can just cry out to God. Just tell him your heart. God, I believe in Jesus. God in the flesh. Jesus, you died for me, I believe. Please forgive me of all my sins. Wash me clean, make me new. I repent and turn from my old sinful life by your help and by your spirit. I'll follow you in a new life. I'm receiving from you salvation. Live in me. I want to live my life to praise you. I want to remember that nothing happens without your permission. And Lord, I, 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 want, to, I want to put my faith in you. I want to rest in your presence, even in my suffering. I give my life to you. You can do that during communion and the Lord will live in your heart. And you need to tell somebody about it and we want to know. So if you make that decision, you can text us the word ELIFE to 94000. Um, if you're watching online, click the button that says, I commit my life to Jesus. We'll send you a link back. And from that link, you can download some information on what does it mean to follow Jesus? Uh, you can sign up for baptism that happens here in two weeks. We do it every month on the third Sunday. It's the next step of all those who put their faith in Jesus. We just wanna know, you need to tell somebody, put your faith in Jesus. And one of the things I love the most about Christianity and the Bible, God doesn't hide the hard parts of life. If Christianity were a lie and we were trying to convince people to follow Jesus, we would most likely make up something that if you follow Jesus, all these good things will happen. But the opposite might be true. If you follow Jesus, scripture actually says you will endure suffering but it only lasts for a while. I'll be with you in it, God says, and then one day all suffering, all tears, all death will be taken away and you'll live with me forever. That's Christianity. So Father, I, I pray as we walk through this series, as we walk through this book of Job, Lord, it's, it's heavy. There are no easy answers, but we know that you alone are the answer. <laughs> 
So Lord, in our suffering, even in this act of communion, I pray that we'd remember, that we'd remember our, our goal is to please you, that nothing happens without your permission and you are right there with us, that because you entered into humanity, you sealed the deal, you're present in our suffering. We love you, Jesus. We give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. Communion's open. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.